So in the 10th century BC, uh, King Solomon wrote his memoir that it's called uh, Ecclesiastes. Now, uh, King Solomon's an old man at this time, and he's kind of looking back on his life, looking back on everything that he's seen, everything that he's experienced, everything that he's lived through, and all the wisdom that he has gained from all of that. And he writes it down in this book of Ecclesiastes. It said that King Solomon is regarded as one of the wisest people that has ever lived. And so I want to jump right in and take you to a passage from his memoir. This comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, chapter 11, verse 3, and this is what it says. It says, If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Thank you, Captain Obvious. It's very wise of you, but look and see what he goes on to say. He says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Then in other words, if you just keep waiting on the right time, if you just keep waiting on the right conditions, you'll never do anything. If you just keep waiting to plant your crop, if you just keep waiting to sow your seed until the wind dies down and the clouds are about to pour forth rain and all the conditions are just right, if you keep waiting for just the right moment, you may miss your moment. Perfection can often become the enemy of progress, and as a recovering perfectionist, I have plenty of stories to tell you about that. And so in the 1940s, there was a research lab in Schenectady, New York, called the House of Magic, which had these scientists from from all over the place doing experiments for General Electric Company. And two of those kind of top scientists were Vincent Schaefer and Irving Langmuir. Uh, Both of them were, they were pretty different from each other, but they really loved snow. And so one day when they're climbing uh, Mount Washington, they notice that there's all these clouds around them, and Langmuir turned to Schaefer and said, look, there's clouds all around us, but why isn't there more snow? There's just a couple of flakes over here and over there. Why is that? Why is there not more snow? Let's, let's look into that and figure this out. And so Schaefer goes back to the lab and he gets this kind of deep freeze cooler. He retrofits it to make it 10 degrees below freezing. And then he starts putting all of this dry ice in there to make it even colder. And then he leans over it and he breathes into it. And what begins to form is this bluish hue of a cloud And he notices that there's these little ice crystals that are beginning to form in there. And so he keeps experimenting with this cloud and putting more and more dry ice into it until he realizes that he can kind of make snow. And so he announces to the whole world, I can make snow. And so a few weeks later, uh, Schaefer and Langmuir, they get into a plane with six pounds of crushed dry ice. They fly over a a cloud, and they dump, they seed the cloud with all of this dry ice. It's called cloud seeding. And eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses to that event say it seems like that cloud just exploded, that the snow and the rain that it produced could be seen for 40 miles. 
A couple years later, in 1950, there was a terrible drought throughout New York City, and uh, things were getting really bad. So they tried uh, Langmuir and Schaefer's experiment to see, like, maybe we can make it rain. And so they did that. They, they cloud-seeded uh, the city of New York and potentially saved that city from drought. Now, there's still a lot of debate about uh, how effective uh, cloud seeding is and the consequences of this kind of method are. But, but here's my point. Solomon says that if all you do is keep watching the clouds, if all you do is just kind of keep waiting for the right moment and the right time and the right conditions, then you'll never plant. You'll never reap. You'll never do anything. And so maybe just maybe, what we need to do is to stop just watching the clouds pass by. And maybe what we need to do is to begin seeding them. Now hang with me. I think one of the main reasons why we often feel kind of stuck spiritually, one of the main reasons why we feel stuck spiritually is because we're waiting on God to do something while God is kind of waiting on us to do something. And now, let me be clear, I'm not talking about trying to manufacture a miracle, I'm not talking about, you know, trying to force something to happen, but oftentimes, we want God to do something new while we keep on doing the same old thing. We keep on with our same old habits. We want God to change our circumstances without us having to change at all. And so, we're going to talk about this more in, in the next coming weeks and throughout the month of October, but, but I just want to give you a roadmap of kind of where we're going. That if you want to see uh, some change in your life, if you want to see some change in your church, if you want to see some change in our communities, uh, then, then here's some things that I think can kind of seed the clouds, some practices to, to seed the clouds, to change the atmosphere around us and just watch as God's blessings explode. But remember, that whenever God blesses, it's not just for us personally, it's to bless those around us. And so here's the first things. They're, they're just kind of a roadmap. The first one is this. Love God. Pray, worship, get in the habit of practicing some spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible daily, praying, fasting, all of that, loving God daily. The second goes hand in hand with it, love your neighbors. That when we love God, we have no choice but to love our neighbors. When someone asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was in all of the Old Testament, Jesus replied with this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. They go hand in hand. They are inextricably bound together. The third one is this, love one another. Meaning love one another as Christian siblings in this church thing together. Support one another through humble service for each other so we can serve that greater purpose of God's kingdom. And finally, love generously. Give of yourself and give of your stuff to be a blessing to other people. That's seeding the cloud with love of God, love of neighbor, love of one another, and loving generously. You, you do these things. And I think even, even in the dry times, kind of even in the drought, it begins to change 
the atmosphere. We'll talk about more of those things later on. But, but you see, I bring it up because, because what Jesus did is that Jesus translated God's message of love into our own language, the language of action. And Jesus has given us that same calling to make God's love real and to make God's love here among us. And here's, here's the beautiful thing about us as the church. The beautiful thing is that we have a front row seat to see what only God can do. In our church, in our communities, in our world, we have a front row seat to see what God is up to. But it's better than that. It's better than that because we not only have a front row seat, but we also get to join in and work with God through it all. That's the church. And so the first time the word church was ever used in human history was a conversation between Jesus and Peter. And Peter had just confessed, he had figured it out, the light bulb went off, he, he had just confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, good answer, Peter. God bless you. And then he goes on to say, and he gives him this challenge. Matthew 16, Jesus says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And now the disciples' first response to hearing this would have been, hey, Jesus, what's a church? (laughs) Because nobody had ever talked about a church before. And so this is the first glimpse of, of, of who Jesus is that the disciples get. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. This is the first glimpse of how big Jesus is. But not only that, this is the first glimpse that they get of how big Jesus' project is. Because Jesus was a carpenter by trade, and the project that he was ultimately building is this, the church. And so a couple things that, that I don't want us to miss about this conversation that Jesus has with Peter is that whose church is it? Well, it's Jesus' church. It's not Peter's church. It's not Paul's church. It's not Matthew's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's, it's Jesus' church. Jesus says, upon you, I will build my church. This is all his. And we all have one purpose, to help point people to Jesus. And who's going to build Jesus' church? Well, he says, I am. Jesus says, I will build my church. Again, it's not up to you, Peter. It's not going to be up to you, Paul. It's not going to be up to the pastors. It's not going to be up to just each and every one of us. But that even in spite of us, Jesus is going to build his church. And you know what I've found? I've found that oftentimes Jesus builds his church among the margins that Jesus builds his church through the poor in spirit, that Jesus is building his church through those who mourn, that Jesus is building his church through that volunteer that wonders if they're making any good, any difference at all, and Jesus is there whispering, well done, good and faithful servant. You have no clue the impact that you're having on this person's life. That Jesus builds the church through a poor widow's offering that seems so small and insignificant. 
but God notices it. And God blesses it and multiplies it for the building up of his kingdom. You see, Jesus' plan was that, was that his church would grow one conversation, one invitation, one expression of love and service at a time. And his plan is that each person, you and me, would be an agent for building his church and pushing back the darkness of the world. Because what is the church supposed to do? Jesus says that the gates of Hades... The gates of Hades, the ultimate enemy of human flourishing, death and hell itself will not be able to overpower it. Jesus is remarkably confident here. He doesn't say that when the forces of hell are unleashed, the church will be able to just kind of stand its own. No, he says when the forces of the church are unleashed, the gates of hell won't be able to stand against it. The darkness is going down even though even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes, Jesus says, trust me, it is. And so what started as a group of people, it's 12 people, Jesus called the church. What started as a group of people that loved God and loved neighbor so much that a miracle happened. A new community that was unprecedented formed and enemies could become friends. But more than that, they could become brothers and sisters. And so Paul, later on, talking about the, the majesty and the beauty and the mess of this church, Paul says to the church, he says, look, there is no longer male or female. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. We are all one in Christ. We're, we're all in this together. Everyone is welcome here, and we're all serving a greater purpose than our own. And so a few months ago, there's a group of people from the church that uh, got together to kind of pray and discern about uh, what some of our defining characteristics are, uh, what some of our core values are for, for us here at First Dunedin as a church. And these aren't polished yet, okay? So just bear with us. But, but I wanted to share, you, share with you what kind of came out of those conversations and some of the things that we lifted up and said, like, this is who we are. This is definitive of, of who we are and what God is calling us to do. And so the first uh, defining characteristic is, is this, that inclusive. It, because Jesus welcomed everyone. But more than just welcomed, Jesus invited everyone to participate and add something. He gathered the uneducated, the poor, the rich, women, children, men, tax collectors, prostitutes, outcasts, the elite as well. Everyone. And Jesus was often criticized for welcoming sinners and eating with them. And you know the last conversation that Jesus had? The last conversation that Jesus had wasn't with some saint, but it was with a sinner. A thief who is on the cross right next to his own, and the thief turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, can I be a part of what you're doing? And Jesus says, okay, you too. You're welcome to join me in where I am going. There's a place for everyone. Jesus said that he was gonna build 
his church. And his, and his church is a place where everybody is welcome and everyone is celebrated. And that everyone means you. There's a place for everyone and an opportunity for everyone to get involved. And the second thing that we lifted up and noticed was service. That overwhelmingly, what came up in our discussion is that we are a servant-minded people. I think we proved that yesterday. We had like 82 people out here just doing yard work and cleaning up. It was pretty amazing. But there were people who kind of seek to go out of our ways to serve others. That we put our own preoccupation with ourselves on pause as we go to serve a greater cause. Because after all, that's the way of life that Jesus modeled for us. And finally, we're people who are passionate about connecting people, and we're people who are passionate about connecting people to Jesus, ultimately. That we're striving to build community here within the church. We're striving to build community with our greater neighbors, that we hope to add something of value to our downtown community. You've heard me say before that we're not just a church in downtown, but we're a church for downtown, and that everything we do is to help point people to Jesus and to point them to something that is so much bigger and so much greater than just them. And so 104 years ago, 104 years ago, there was a group of people who got together and, and they asked this question. And they asked, hey, what if we made a little outpost of Jesus's church here in downtown Dunedin? right on the corner of Douglas and Maine. And they prayed, and they gave, and they served, and they worshiped. And it began to grow. It started with just 12 people, which I think is a pretty good omen. And they met in the only public place that was available at that time, the only public hall, it was called a library hall. And look what it has become now. And that was 104 years ago. And here's what's really amazing. I think that God's not done with us yet. And I believe, I believe that we are on the verge of the next great adventure that God has in store for us. And, and I believe it not just because I'm, I'm supposed to be like the cheerleader for the church, hooray, 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 right? I believe it because I actually, I feel it. And I believe it because I'm praying for it. And I know that I'm not alone when I'm praying for this. I'm praying for a revival. I'm praying for a revival in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls that we would be a people who are passionately pursuing Jesus and pointing others to Jesus to share that good news with the whole world, that the Holy Spirit is doing something new and exciting here among us today, I believe that we have more people in small groups and Bible studies than we have in a really long time. We have more people showing up for our three different worship services than we have in over a decade. We have a thriving Micronesian community that's here and a part of our church. And right now as I'm talking, there's about 20 middle schoolers and high schoolers who are meeting for a confirmation class right now. And if you don't know what that means, they're learning about the faith. What is this Christian thing? And they're trying to decide if they're going to make the next step and make this faith their own. And so do you realize, do you realize that the thing that Jesus talked about 2,000 years ago 
You all are doing it. You all are doing it here and now. And it's all because you've continued to plant that dream that Jesus originally gave to us centuries ago. That we're not here just staring at the clouds. We're not, we're not just waiting for the right time. The time is now and we're seeding the clouds of what God is going to do in our lives, in our church, and in our community. But to be sure, I don't want to lead you astray. <laughs> to be sure, it has not always been roses and fairy tales. It's still not. We've shed many tears. We've had loss. We've struggled. We've fought. And we continue to face new challenges that we have to learn to adapt to every day in our ever-changing world. Now, the Bay Area is one of the most unchurched populations in our entire nations. Did you know that? That our neighbors aren't living and finding Christian community where they can find the love and acceptance that they need. Churches are closing down and fewer and fewer of churches are opening. More and more people are walking away from the church, walking away from the faith, or, or they've just never really have been exposed to an authentic Christian community that proclaims the good news of Jesus in word and deed. There's the darkness of social injustices that kind of cloud our world that need to be fought back with the power of the light of God shining through you and through me. It may seem like the deck is stacked against us, but we hold fast to that promise that Jesus gave us, that the gates of hell will not stand against us. And we believe that Jesus is still building his church that it is still his church, that Jesus thought it up, he created it, he authorized it, he started it when it was unheard of, he equipped it when it had nothing to run off of, he launched it when there was no idea of it and he continues to guide it no matter how messed up we try to make it. And Jesus has no intention of ever letting it go until it fulfills that ultimate purpose of blessing every person, of every city, of every nation. It's the ministry that you and I have been called to give our lives to. And others have come before us, and others will come behind us. But this is our day, and this is our moment. So let's stop watching the clouds. Let's stop just waiting for the right time. Let's stop asking when, and let's begin asking how. God, the moment is here. How can you use me? God, how can you use who I am to be a part of building your church? Let's be all in. Let's seed the clouds and change the atmosphere around us. And so you might just be exploring the faith. You might be here just to kind of check out our church. Hey, that's great. Take your time. We're glad you're here. We hope you do connect with us. You're always welcome here. But if you are a follower of Jesus, and if you call this church your home, then I want to ask you to do a couple things. Now, first, I want to ask you to pray, because I think without that, it's all pointless. Second, I ask that you would get connected to community in, in some real way. Don't be just a chronic visitor. 
But join a small group, join a Bible study, show up at events, get to know people, get plugged in. I'm asking you to roll up your sleeves and serve in some way because people need you. And God has given you certain gifts and abilities that God can use to bless someone else. And, and just a shameless plug here for anyone who's listening. You know, our children and youth ministries right now are kind of bursting at the seams. Praise be to God. It's awesome. But we also need some volunteers to help manage that chaos that God is blessing and growing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm asking you also, I'm asking you to trust God enough to be generous with your finances, to give and support what God is up to here at First Dunedin, but also not not to just support it as the status quo that it is, but also to support it to expand it. And really what I ask is that we do all of this, all of this in the same spirit that, that Jesus had when he first envisioned this church thing, that same spirit of, of course we can, and with God, nothing is impossible. Let's have that, that same audacious spirit. Don't just watch the clouds, but begin to seed them. And it all starts with you and with me. One person, one act, one moment at a time. And so I want to challenge us as we close with two questions. The same two questions that God has been challenging us with ever since we are given that great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the two questions that I want to ask you are this. Who is your neighbor? And how can you love them? Who is my neighbor? And how can I love them? And we're going to take a couple minutes to, to reflect on that. And remember that little piece of paper that hopefully you didn't put your gum in, right? I want you to take that out. And I want you to write down the name of who your neighbor is. It could be a name of a person. It could be the name of your literal neighbor. It could be the name of, of a group of people. But, but who is it? Who is your neighbor? And how can you love them? And so... Uh, we're going to have just a couple minutes to kind of pray about this, think about this. I want you to write it down, and then I'll tell you what we're going to do with these things as an expression and response uh, to God's word. So uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is, is first that you would remember the name or the group of people that, that you wrote down on that little slip of paper because you're going to give it to me. So now that it's not in your hand anymore, you can't just forget it, okay? So I'm going to ask you to actually love these people that, you have, that we have named uh, before God and each other today. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, take this little sheet of paper and uh, up here we have a map of Pinellas County. I know that your neighbor may not live in Pinellas County. That's okay. This is just a good kind of visual representation for, for our neighbors. And so what I want us to do is uh, take this little piece of paper and there's push pins up here. You can uh, put the name of your neighbor up here as an act. 
of saying to God, I'm gonna try to love this person. Why don't we do this as a communal act? And so uh, the band's gonna play a song and just kind of as the Holy Spirit leads you, I invite you to, to come up and, and share with us uh, the name of who that neighbor is. And an act of prayer, we'll put it up there on the map too. So won't you come?